Hi, everyone. Welcome to Being Patient Perspectives, a segment where we take a first-person look of, about what it's like to live with dementia. Today joining us is Lonnie Schicker. She was diagnosed with both Lewy body and um, early onset Alzheimer's um, at the same time um, and joins us now um, from St. Louis. Lonnie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I want to start, of course, with diagnosis, because, you know, a lot of people who have dementia are misdiagnosed. And so when I heard that you had both been diagnosed with Lewy body and also Alzheimer's disease, I was frankly quite surprised because most people don't get both of those um, diagnoses so early on. So tell us a little bit about how you were diagnosed. Um, well, originally I was diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment and it kind of stayed there for a while. When I was visiting my neurologist, we could see that progressively I was having some symptoms um, like um, tremors and visual hallucinations. Um, the visual hallucinations were increasing and um, the I was having also, you know, the forgetfulness and um, the, the word finding issues. And so my physician and, and the neuropsych testing um, physician both felt that it was, my symptoms were more consistent with Lewy body dementia. And then with Lewy body dementia, often there's an accompanying, um, Parkinsonism, which is not Parkinson's, but it's having, it's a syndrome that's Parkinson's-like. Meaning like the tremors, right? The, I'm sorry? Meaning that you have tremors? I have tremors and a little bit of shuffling gait and I'm a little bent over, so those kinds of things. Well, we have been told that um, actually Lewy body is closely related to Parkinson's um, in, in the way it presents itself. Um, so in that respect, I, I guess those symptoms aren't too surprising. But um, I should have pointed out that you're a former professor of um, healthcare management um, and you were working at the time. So. Tell us a little bit about how you noted, um, you know, before your diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment, how you noted that something was wrong. Well, I personally could tell that something was off, but I thought I was really stressed. I had, you know, I was running the department by myself. I had just written a master's program and had students um, that it far exceeded. We were hoping for 12. We ended up with like 30 um, for the first go around. So I felt really overwhelmed, but I also noticed that um, I couldn't remember where we left off in the last class and I would have to ask my students. And so I really did kind of chalk it up to stress until my students actually called a meeting with me and they told me that I hadn't shown up for several classes and that I hadn't returned any assignments. And so I tore my office apart and actually found their assignments like between books and um, couldn't even remember ever having them in my possession. And so I called my physician and said, there's just something off. So you the fact that you weren't showing up for class. I did not know. 
I had no idea that I hadn't shown up. And even um, because it was a, it was one of those classes, it was a hybrid. And so we did part of it online and part of it in the classroom. And uh, so when they first told me, I thought, well, maybe I just wrote the schedule wrong, the schedule that I gave to them. And then when the more I talked to them, the more I realized that I just really hadn't shown up and hadn't even given it a thought. I had no idea I was supposed to be there. I mean, I can imagine that. I was, oh, I was so apologetic. I felt awful. But at the same time, I realized that my perception that there was something off was real. So when you were, um, how long were you um, given the mild cognitive um, impairment diagnosis before you realized it could be either Lewy body or Alzheimer's? Well, actually, I went to a neurophysiologist after I had the neuropsych testing originally, which was um, in 2014, late 2014. And the neurophysiologist told me that he had no doubt that this was an early development of Alzheimer's. Just some of the things that came up in my testing, the way my brain looked on imaging, um, that he really felt confident in saying that this was something that was going to progress. And did they so, see plaques when you say the way that the imaging was? What did they see exactly? They saw um, a great deal of diffuse white plaques and large white plaques, which um, you know take up brain space. And so um, that was an issue. And then um, they also saw like um, areas of um, of white plaques in the places where it most affects memory and cognition and that there was more there than in other parts of my brain. So um, when you were diagnosed with Louis Biden, and I, I, I have to say, you know, that it is very rare to um, have both diagnoses at the stage, this early stage that you're in. It's usually people find out down the road or it's discovered post-mortem that there may have been more than one dementia. So okay. it's rare to be dealing with two different, even though they are in, in similar in presentation, but yet there's differences. So tell us a little bit about how Louis body came to you, um, what you noted and how the doctors actually diagnosed. What was the difference there? It was very interesting, but it was actually my son. My son did a lot of research about dementia because he felt when he went through the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease, he really felt that it was a, um, kind of like having on a tight shoe. It wasn't completely comfortable to him that that was the diagnosis. And so as he researched, he looked at Louis body and he said, I can check every box on this list. And so he actually contacted the neurologist and said, we would like to come in and talk to you about this. And he went through line by line, the symptoms that I had related to the symptoms um, in this, article and the, the article was actually from the um i can't remember the publication but it's the neuropsychiatric publication and so as our, uh, my physician dr backett went through it he agreed that you know this this is a very likely scenario as we look at symptoms 
And then when I started having the tremors, um, he felt that that pretty concretely he could say that um, that this was Louis body. I think what he wasn't expecting was for the dementia to increase significantly and for my um, I can't write anymore and I can't read. Um, I can't do numbers. So you can imagine for a for a former professor, this is like overwhelming. Um, but that's what kind of started leading him to the additional diagnosis of Alzheimer's. So when you say, I, I want to go back to Louis Body in a second, but when you say you can't read or write, I mean, obviously you've been reading and writing for, you know, the, most of your life. So right. what is that? What is that like? Was it just like you woke up one day and you suddenly forgot how to read and write or how did it present itself? No, at first it was perception. Like I would read, I used to read at least two books a week. I used to treat myself if I read one nonfiction, I'd get to read a fiction. So I, I was obsessed with reading and suddenly I realized that I had to keep going back to figure out who people were. And then when I would read, letters would look um, like out of position or some letters would look like numbers and some numbers would look like letters. And so I started getting more and more of this kind of difficulty in remembering and, and reading clearly. And so I had to give up reading books and I started listening to books, which has been helpful. But then one day I was at, um, at a pharmacy and I handed money to her and she was like, well, this is way too much. And I realized that I had lost my ability to count. And so I can't count money. When I go anywhere, I have to have someone else count the money for me. Just many presentations, many people, what surprised me at least, um, especially with, I have a mom with Alzheimer's and um, one thing that surprised me is the presentation of symptoms of the disease. And I always thought when she was first diagnosed, it would be a slippery slope downhill. But I realize the presentation is more up and down in increments, right? So yeah. some days we say, wow, she's doing really well today. And other days we say, oh, wow, it really feels like she's slipping. So when you talk about these types of presentations, like when you when you lost the ability to count, is it better some days, but worse others? Or what is that like? And honestly, some days I can absolutely um, figure out money. My, it was really funny because my son said to me the other day, he was trying to figure out something we were working on, um, holiday gifts. And he said something to me about the cost. And I said, well, that would be like 75 cents cheaper only. So, and he looked at me and I looked at him and I said, where in the heck did that come from? But then other times when I go, um, when I go to the store, I can't even tell a one from a 20 from, you know, and I definitely couldn't work with change. So it is peaks and valleys. Sometimes it feels like running up and down stairs. I'm, I, I feel pretty with it some days and there are other days, this is a good day. There are other days where I can't remember anything. 
I, I want to talk a little bit about the Louis body um, portion of this because, you know, we've interviewed experts on Louis body, um, Dog Arslan being one out of um, the UK from um, University of College London. And he believes that Louis body is probably one of the most underdiagnosed dementias because most doctors aren't equipped to understand how to diagnose it, what the difference of symptoms are. Um, what he elaborated on was the hallucinations, one key, key clue is the hallucinations come early with Louis body. Did you, did you have that type of sy symptom? And if so, can you tell us a little bit about it? Um, the hallucinations were the first thing that really, I think, tipped my physician off and me. I was startled the first time I had one. Um, in fact, I spent six months in the hospital because I tripped over a dog in my kitchen that wasn't there. Um, when I see things, I see them very clearly. It's not like, you know, like you see on TV and mystery movies where it's kind of a um, like a, a waft in the air. I mean, I really see things very clearly. So, so it's not like a cartoon caricature hallucination. It's more right. like real life. Like you're seeing an animal that looks exactly like an animal. Right. When I see it and I don't just see it. I have the impression of it first. Like I feel like there's something there and then it becomes visual. And um, I have some that are very frightening. I've had, in fact, um, someone standing in my kitchen who's trying to talk to me, but I can't hear them. And I become very frightened because I know they're trying to say something to me and, you know, and what are you doing in my kitchen late at night? Um, it, it, it's really terrifying. Um, and sometimes I don't know what's real and what's not. My son and I were in the car and I thought a car was coming directly at us and I yelled. And my son said, there's nothing nothing there. I I was terrified. My heart was pounding. I thought someone was going to hit us. How, how often does that occur? Um, I would say a couple of times a week. Um, a couple of times a week that I actually see things. The impression that something is near me or going by me is is a frequent like multiple times a day occurrence. Is there is there anything that helps? Is there medication? Is there or have you have you associated any triggers with those type of hallucinations, or do they just descend upon you very unexpectedly? They're very random, and any medication that they've tried has not helped. I don't sleep well because of it, um, because I get kind of frankly creeped out, and I can't sleep well. And so they've tried sleeping medications. They've tried. Um, anti-anxiety medications, they've tried the traditional um, um, Alzheimer's medications and nothing has really made a difference. Um, I will say that the medication that they give me for the Parkinsonism has been very helpful. I don't try near as much and so I'm really grateful for that. And in fact, that was one of the reasons when, when we asked um, the expert on Lewy body, well, why does it really matter if you are diagnosed with Lewy body or Alzheimer's? And he, he gave exactly that answer um, because some of the Parkinson drugs actually work 
uh, much better on Lewy body than they would on Alzheimer's disease. And so they right. wouldn't be necessarily prescribed to somebody with Alzheimer's, but most people um, with Lewy body uh, have some sort of Parkinsonian symptoms and that, those medications tend to alleviate um, the Parkinson's symptoms. Correct, yeah. It definitely has for me. Did, um, so, you know, you're able to articulate so well what is happening to you. Do you feel like, I mean, and you know, do you feel like you're declining or do you feel like you're observing changes in your brains? Do you know what I mean by that? Because you know I, exactly what you mean. I'm speaking to you and I'm like, you know, and I know, I know I'm not with you 24 hours a day and I know I don't live with you. And I'm sure there are things that would become more apparent if we were together more. But as we have this conversation, I'm thinking to myself, you can articulate so well what's happening to you. Um, so tell me a little bit about that perspective on, um, on, on having these types of dementia. I think, first of all, I think that my scientific nurse brain um, is constantly monitoring what's going on with me. And so I'm very aware of changes. Um, I feel like I've been declining more over the past six months than all the time previously. Um, I have days that are really awful days that I can't articulate very much. And then I have days and and it's interesting. I can go out and speak to a group and sometimes it's very fluid and I do it from memory and it's very fluid. And other days um, I can be sitting at home and can hardly hold a phone conversation. So I, I see that back and forth. But um, I do almost feel like you know, my brain's tingling. Like I can feel that there's something going on up there. I feel different, but um, I don't know that I necessarily, uh, or that other people necessarily see the decline. But I will say that the other day I was with some friends and one of my friends said, you know, hey, when, when do you see your doctor again? Because I've noticed these couple of things. What, what um keeping track of the date and keeping track of a date this has been a big problem for me i literally keep a book at my side all the time now so i can write appointments and all of those kinds of things um and she said i guess she told me a day that we were going to do something which was coming up soon and she said that I asked her repeatedly um, what date that was and then finally made her write it down because I guess I couldn't actually write the date. I couldn't get the numbers in order. So I had to actually ask her to write it. And so she was very concerned about that. We're getting a number of comments about your self-awareness and people complimenting you on how, how you are indeed so self-aware. Um, we have one comment um, coming through from a viewer saying, my husband doesn't seem to be aware like you are, or if he is, he can't express his symptoms to me. His language is disappearing. Um, from your perspective, do you have advice um, in terms of um, better ways to communicate? 
I, there are a couple of better. The first thing is, is if you feel pushed to articulate something, it becomes more difficult. It's kind of, um, you know, there's a, there's kind of a reverse effect there, at least for me. Anytime I feel like I'm kind of cornered into, I need to be able to get this out. And I feel like somebody really wants me to get it out that um, it becomes harder to do. And I think one thing is I express myself better through like drawing things or um, um, drawing is a really good example, but I also express myself through um, unfortunately crying, I, I get upset about something, I get frustrated. And my son has become very, I live with my son, so that's why I speak about him a lot. Um, he's become very adept at kind of listing things calmly. Is it this that you want? Is it this that you need? Um, and not like, what, what, you know, what's going on? So I think one of the things is to approach them kind of as gently as you would approach a lamb. You know, you just have yeah. to kind of, um, ask them calmly, is this, it is this. And if you don't get an answer um, and you can't figure it out, you do have to kind of unfortunately let it go because if they can't express themselves and you can't figure out what the problem is, you're just both going to become very frustrated. That makes a lot of sense because anyone, any one of us, when we're put on the spot, you know, we get more nervous and more tense. And right. so I can imagine, um, it, you know, if you're trying to get words out or remember what you were trying to say, to be, you know, put on under the spotlight and pressured, um, it would only make it worse. I mean, that's that's pretty normal, I would say. Yeah. Um, we have um, a few more questions coming in. Um, uh, another viewer is asking, do you feel a lack of motivation or lack of desire to do things, which is a common symptom with Alzheimer's disease? Um, has that happened to you? It does happen all the time. And right now I really push myself to stay active. I speak a lot. I speak all over the country. And I think that that helps me a lot, you know, just that planning and knowing that that's going to happen and getting ready for it kind of keeps me going. Um, but as it's becoming more difficult to travel and to speak publicly, because traveling by myself is a real issue, um, it's very difficult. And so as that has become more of a problem, it's um, kind of um, not motivating me so much. And my tendency is to want to quit things. So anything that I'm doing, I, I say frequently, I just, I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to stop doing it. I'm going to stop volunteering. I'm going to stop speaking. Um, and it's usually my friends. I have several close friends who, with my son, consider themselves my care team. And they will keep me going. They'll travel with me if they have to. They'll do whatever they need to do to keep me active and busy. Uh, and that, um, you know, as we know, saying staying socially engaged is is really helpful. Um, 
another viewer is asking if you get anxiety because of the hallucinations. I can imagine they're terrifying. Um, do they do they make you panic? Do you get anxiety attacks? I get terrible anxiety attacks, and um, when I see something and no one else is home to validate that it's not there, I have I have panic attacks and anxiety attacks, and um, I get I have palpitations, I get sweaty, I'm afraid. I try I go outside. I'm you know, like trying to get away from whatever it is. And then I'll keep peeking in the house to see if it's gone. So yes, it's the anxiety is horrible. And, and I think I said earlier, I, I can't sleep well because I'm afraid that there's going to be something there um, when I open my eyes again. So it's easier just not to close them. And, um, you know, the, the absolute absurdity of that, even though for me, it's very real, but lack of sleep we know can cause hallucinations you ask any nurse that's worked um 24 hours straight and then drives home how many animals she sees out of the corner of her eye um it, it, uh, sleep deprivation makes creates some hallucinations or can and so i feel like you know if i get too tired i have them but i can't sleep because i have them so it's it's very frustrating and anxiety provoking for sure. Are you? Someone is asking if uh, they're saying, you know, Lonnie, you must be a jewel to the Louis Body Research Team. Um, what they're learning, um, what are they learning the most from you, um, especially since you're so lucid? Are you participating in research and are you giving feedback? Because um, I mean, I'm finding this incredibly informative to listen to your perspective of living with um, dementia. And we, we find that with a lot of these interviews that we're doing. So, you know, is there is there some way you're participating in the research? I am not. And I have signed up multiple times. I've been excluded because of the kind of mixed diagnosis. Um, that's been an issue. And the fact that I'm diabetic, which is something that I'm very interested in. Um, because I have had difficulty controlling my blood sugar. And I noticed even on your website, there are, there's a lot of interesting information about um, the relationship between blood sugar and Alzheimer's. Um, that really is honestly the research I would like to be involved in because I have always felt that there was a connection there. Are you, are you uh, diabetes type two or type one? I'm a type two. Yeah, and, and that's the one that's so closely um, associated with, or at least um, severely elevating your your risk of dementia right. uh, with with diabetes type two. Um, from your perspective, has anyone has ha, have doctors talked to you about maybe the relationship between diabetes and dementia? Does that ever come up when you see see your your doctors? Nobody ever brings it up except one emergency room physician. Um, I was in the emergency room actually for something unrelated, but when they checked my blood sugar because of the infection, they were, um, it was elevated. And he said, has your physician, any of your physicians ever told you that these two could be related? I've been reading a lot of articles. And until then I hadn't really given it much thought, but now I, I um, listen to a lot and uh, make my son read to me a lot of articles that he can find about the relationship. It's, it seems very closely tied and, and I am 
um, I feel like there could definitely be a connection because my blood sugar, despite my best efforts and my physician's best efforts have never really been in tight control. Yeah. Um, it's it's um, interesting as we, you know, hear from more and more experts, um, you know, a lot, there's, there's more, more and more of you that Alzheimer's is treating a host of symptoms, not just one target, right? And so how are these all interrelated? We're not 100% sure yet, um, but, you know, blood sugar is, is one that, you know, could, could possibly through recent research be a trigger. So Lonnie, give us um, insight about, I mean, I know you've now turned, um, you, you, you have two hats because you're very familiar with the healthcare system through your work and um, you were also a nurse, um, so you understand healthcare. Um, and now you are looking at things from a patient perspective. So tell us what you think people need to know about living with Alzheimer's um, or dementia for that matter. I think the first thing is um, it was not difficult. I was diagnosed at 58. So with the mild cognitive impairment, it was not difficult to be on or to get um, disability. The problem is, once you get disability, the nightmare begins. Um, it becomes more and more difficult to receive health care um, because Medicare, if there's an 18-month waiting period. So there's a six-month waiting period for you to begin disability, an additional 18 months to get your Medicare. And what happens is you either have to rely on a spouse's insurance you have to go to only clinics. And, you know, the realistic um, are, are the reality is that clinics are designed. Um, they're almost like miniature emergency rooms. They're really designed to take care of immediate problems and not ongoing issues. And so you pay for a lot of your care out of pocket. So I think the first thing is the financial burden. You, you just have no idea what the cost is going to be until you're in it. And then my, my son has been looking at placement for the future. And the cost of placement is incredibly um, unattainable for most people. And so I think that the thing, the thing that I talk about most often is being prepared to have Alzheimer's no matter what your age, to think about what the cost is going to be and to put have that money put away. Um, it seems outrageous to tell a 30-year-old that, you know, this could happen to you. And so you need to have, you know, you need to be diligent about your savings because this will break you. Yeah. It took my entire 401k. I had no money left. And um, for a person who was making a six-figure income to now have zero money in the bank was overwhelming. Um, but if you're bankruptcy, right? Because you need to spend down. Don't you have to spend down your retirement and everything yes. so that you can qualify for Medicaid? Um, right. Which in so many ways doesn't make sense. But It doesn't make sense at all because you're using up your money in order to get government funding, 
but then you go to Medicare and you no longer have any money in the bank. Yeah. So it's really, it's really an awful, you know, I, it's funny when I was teaching, I used to say all the time, you know, despite all its faults, it's still the best healthcare system in the world. And, and, um, you know, and there are clinics and there are, everyone can receive healthcare if they need it. And, um, I have discovered how unfair the system is. And, um, I think that that's the thing that has startled me the most is that I feel like I was living in kind of a cloud of, of what I was told and taught and not the real world. Yeah. So uh, we have just one last question. Um, and one viewer is asking, do you know what stage you were at at the time of diagnosis and what, um, what stage you're at now? I'm, I probably, I'm still early stage. Um, some of my symptoms lately over the last, I would say three to six months are indicating that I am likely moving into a middle stage. Um, I know a lot of people, I, you know, I've, I'm on committees with so many people who, um, are early stage and they all are saying the same thing since we all kind of started at the same time we're kind of progressing together and they're all saying that one day they feel like they've already hit um, middle stage that their memory is so awful but that they kind of bounce back and feel like okay maybe I'm still early and that's that's kind of where I am I think I'm between those two stages right now well, I really wish you all the luck. And, um, you know, we so appreciate your perspective. I think it's enormously important to look at dementia from the first person um, perspective because you can, uh, you can really educate all of us, whether you're a caregiver, someone impacted by the disease, or, um, you know, have a loved one, or even a researcher for that matter. Um, so we really value your perspective. And thank you for sharing with us. I appreciate that. I am always thrilled to be able to help educate people. And um, I'm so happy that I had this opportunity. Thank you. And if you missed any of this um, interview, you can go to beingpatient.com. We always have these um, interviews on um, on our site on demand. Um, and you know, if you have any more questions for Lonnie, please don't hesitate to leave them on our fa our Facebook. Um, chat which which you're on now watching um uh, leave it in the comments um section and we'll be sure to pass it along thanks so much um lonnie and we will continue with more of these interviews um and keep keep updated um with what we're doing on either our facebook page or on beingpatient.com thanks very much for watching